Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. And welcome to Two Pints of Maggots and a Packet of Hooks, the fishing podcast. This is episode six and the final one of this series. And um, just before we kick off, a big, big, big thank you for everybody's support, kind words and messages um, throughout these last couple of months since the podcast began. Very, very much appreciated. And as I've said many a times before, um, without the listeners, there is no show. So a big, big thank you. Um, we've got a great show lined up on episode six. Uh, we've got a good opportunity to go through the press pack. We've got all the monthly magazines to pour over and, of course, the weeklies. Anything that caught my eye on social media and, of course, any whispers or rumours on the bank will be shared too. Um, in the big chair for the big chat is all-round England international and Garbolino UK boss, Mr. Darren Cox. As always, fascinating chat, chatting to Darren, and I'm sure you're going to enjoy that. And the tackle shed, something different as well. Rather than myself looking at the tackle that's out and about and reviewing and, and debating and looking at prices, etc., we've got Mark, Mark Greatrix from Fishing Evolution, which is my local tackle shop, supporting the local tackle shop, of course. Um, and Mark has expanded during this lockdown. And of course, now we're back open. It's going to be really interesting to get Mark's take on how business is faring, what his plans are for the future and the whole thought process behind expanding during lockdown. Of course, he'll talk about some of the great brands um, that Fishing Evolution offers and future plans as well. So something slightly different um, on our final episode with the Tackle Shed 2. Okay, before we kick off with the press pack, um, I'm going to announce a competition for you. So we recently did one uh, with a little bit of Teddy Fisher bait and a podcast cap. Well, this time round, we're going to do the same again, but we're going to increase it tenfold. So you can win a Teddy Fisher voucher. Uh, the voucher will be worth £30. It'll be free postage for you as well. Also, there will be a podcast mug nicely branded up uh, for you to enjoy your teas and coffee whilst listening to our podcast. So further details will follow. In the meantime, let's crack on with the press pack. Okay, let's kick off then with the press pack. Plenty to get stuck into because I've got the monthlies with me. I've got match fishing and improving course fishing. And I've also got a couple of editions of Angling Times since we last did our podcast. So kicking off with uh, Angling Times from the 7th uh, of April, uh, straight away, page five, we've got a good old Andy Ford, a co-presenter, of course, of On The Bank um, on BT Sport with Rob Hughes. And he's only gone and broke himself a fish record. Uh, I'll quote straight from the magazine so I don't get this wrong, but a rare and unusual fish that shatters the world record has been caught from Diva Springs Fishery in Hampshire. 
Um, Andy Ford was stalking at the water when he hooked and landed an 11 pound, 15 ounce Sparktic trout. Never heard of one. This is fully two pound bigger than the current record. The fish are crossed between a brook trout and an Arctic char and is a highly sought after species among fly anglers. Andy went and said it fought like nothing I've ever hooked, strong and meant business. I'm submitting a claim with the International Game Fishing Association and the best bit is that we caught it on film and you'll be able to watch it on BT Sport in May. Well, good on him. What a great catch that is, a fish that I've never, ever heard of before. And of course, the pages are all full of lots of uh, shots and pictures of, of angling resuming. Um, as it should do with match fishing being allowed, night fishing, etc. And, and being having the ability to sort of travel that little bit further as well. So lots and lots around um, those bits and pieces um, in the pages. Um, we'll talk about my little feature shortly in Improving Course Fishing, but it was double bubble because Tony, who's a journalist for, uh, for Bauer Media, did a bit of a two for one, if you like. He did a fishery focus. So on Last week's Angling Times, we did a focus on the venue I visited, which was Peacock Waters. And he's, uh, he took a few extra shots and popped them in, which is good. Um, it's a decent article about Steve Ringer's favourite feeder waters. So if anybody's looking for either big catches of bream, a mixture of carp and skimmers, etc., um, you know, he gives various reasons for various fisheries. They've, they've all got a similar theme to them, similar size. Um, but... You know, he gives his reasons why and where to go. So that's with a sort of fishery focus, if you like. So lots and lots in last week's Angling Times with regards to, um, you know, fishing coming out of the doldrums, if you like. Moving on to this week's edition, though, there's some real eye-catching stories in here. Some disturbing, some not surprising. Uh, but the main thing, it opens up big image of attention on the front of the, the magazine this week. And not surprising, you know, spring into summer, uh, gives these images you know of sort of mares and ponds and lakes full of lily pads with you know olive green tench lurking below them and uh, it's getting to that time of the year it does need to warm up a little bit it's been very very chilly overnight that is for sure and there's lots of tactics of how to to sort of approach tench and whatnot in the, in the magazine and it's no secret that tench are my favorite fish by far and i'll uh, need to search out a few venues around the, these these parts for me to have a crack so straight in uh, with page four on this week's angling times it says sort out this mess and it's talking about the government's proposals to tackle river pollution uh, critics are saying that it's inadequate now i think it's this week there's going to be a documentary about um, sewage going into our waterways from water companies. I think it's a BBC documentary, which is well worth a watch, I'm sure. Um, and this article, I won't read it all to you, but it's basically talking about um, the new laws that are to come in to, to manage water companies and what they let from their overflow and storm drains into rivers and what they need to be doing, basically. And there's a little bit of sort of the government think that they've got this right, Whereas others, um, you know, from uh, from the Angling Trust and, and Environment Agency are totally saying that it's not enough. You don't go far enough, these new proposals for water companies. And they do put some stats in there, and I'll quote these. That shocking new data released by the Environment Agency has revealed that raw sewage was poured into our rivers more than 400,000 times in 2020. That's a worrying 27% increase on 2019. Um, these figures are disgraceful, alarming, and likely to be an underestimation. As not all storm overflows are monitored, problems only getting worse. So this is a big problem, um, and it needs addressing. 
and again it looks like the angling trust are on the front foot and, and combating this with um, support of the environment agency but ironically below that article is um, an argument that the environment agency are not doing enough around poaching um, it says ea pledges the review of poaching in action so again um Former Angling Trust Enforcement Manager Dilip Sarkar resigned from his position last year in frustration at a perceived lack of backup from the AA. Well, he was given an audience with uh, Junior Environment Minister Rebecca Powell, and they have gone on to again lobby the government and explain that we've created this Angling Trust volunteer bailiff service. We've give loads of intelligence to the powers that be. Nothing's been done. Not good enough. So on one hand, you've got you know, support around the pollution piece from the EA, but at the same time in action around poaching. So a bit of an oxymoron going on there. Uh, another thing that caught my eye in this week's mag, <laughs> this is unbelievable. I like to pick out the odd big fish that catches my eye. And this is a 66 pound, eight ounce catfish caught on a fly. <laughs> unbelievable. Um, caught by a chap called Oliver Cullingford. Um, and it's from a fishery called Burton Springs in Somerset. He says, I love the challenge of trying to catch catfish on the fly. It's an uncluttered and active method that gets you immersed because it's all in your fingertips. Despite their size, some of the takes are just small plucks as you're stripping back the line. With this one, everything just went solid before it charged off like a train. The impressive fish fell to a pattern developed by fellow catfish fishing fly enthusiast Stuart Watson and was landed on a 12-weight rod and 50-pound leader. So, I mean, that is a, a feat to behold, that's for sure. Huge old catfish there. Big old moggy, caught on a fly. Fascinating stuff. Um, another one that caught my eye in the same mag, page six. It was about the fish that reshaped match angling, and it's the 25th anniversary of the creation of the F1. Really good article, talks about um, why they were developed. Obviously, they're a hybrid of a common or mirror cart with a cruising cap and it was mainly really um, around um, avoiding fish disease KHV these sort of diseases they uh, they're immune from it so there's a couple of quotes here actually from uh, a guy called Simon Hughes who basically created the fish in 1996 at Riverfield Fish Farm he says um, they're in every major venue and have saved match fishing and pleasure fishing from KHV. That was the only reason we created them to produce a fish that would be susceptible. Only later did we realise that they were rather hardy and would feed all year. You can't argue with F1s. They're not everybody's favourite species, but they serve a purpose, certainly for, for match fishing and uh, for getting bites. Just finishing off the match fishing section and this week, at last we've got some results going into the uh, into the match fishing part of Angling Times, which is great. Say so that they've done a really really good job over the last few months when when match fishing's not been allowed, where they've um, you know they've they've posed the big question to, to various um, top anglers and and they've given a really sort of insightful conversation piece, but actual physical results in there. And I guess for me, big big well done to to Alex. Um, Alex Doherty from from Lindholm works in the shop there. Um, he's only gone and won himself the, uh, of course, the Golden Rod final at Larford Lakes, bagging himself a nice little five grand. It's over two days as well, so it's no mean feat, that is for sure. And he goes and talks about what he did and and sort of like the you know the tactics that he did to to win that final. So a uh, big well done to Alex. Um, you know, keep it up, young'un, and uh, you'll you'll there's more to come, I'm sure. Okay, moving on to the monthly magazines. The first one that caught my eye in Improve Your Course Fishing magazine was a good article 
Um, Andy May, the number one bait for big carp action. And of course, what he's talking about is the fish are coming out of the, the winter slumber now. Um, we can be a bit more selective with our baits, moving away from, you know, your maggots, your pinkies, your soft pellets into sort of hard pellet territory now to be a bit more selective. And it's OK, it's a simple enough way of fishing. But what he's doing is he's giving you good tips on reminding yourself of that presentation, the type of floats, the shot impact. And then, of course, the most important thing there, the feeding. Uh, when it comes to targeting carp i mean he's only used a bag of six mil pellets all day it doesn't get more simple than that but um there's a bit more to it than that and, and he gives some good tips here moving through the mag um page 45 listen it's as simple as it comes but how to plumb up on the pole how many people do you say plumbing up for a match or pleasuring and they, they, they think they're sort of, you know, there or thereabouts with their float. And I did it for years. I thought dead depth meant I'm just going to have the tiniest little pinprick of float left when I plumb up. That's not the case. I've not taken into account the stretch of the line, not taken into account any um, silt, perhaps, that my plummet sunk into. So really, I was fishing for quite a couple of years inaccurately. And surprised I caught as many fish as I did in, in some respects. And once, you know, you understand dead depth and you understand fishing on the bottom or coming up or whatever and marking your pole etc it makes things much more versatile and okay it's a simple article it's called quick fix which makes sense because there's obviously uh, you know still some people that are a little bit confused when it comes to plumbing the depth on the pole so well worth a little reminder um bottom of the body always the bottom of the body for fishing dead depth Page 62 in the same magazine, that is my own little feature, which, uh, you know, I'm very, very proud of and something that I've worked towards uh, getting right. I had a couple of practices in advance, of course, on the venue that we visited. And um, yeah, luckily it, it paid off. And, and to be fair, I'm not bad at fishing deep water. I always have. Um, and when there's a reasonable head of fish, choosing the right ground bait mix, um, thinking about what you're trying to achieve. Uh, in terms of attracting the fish and holding them and and tony who's the the journal for bauer he, he's put the article together really really well and explained everything that i was trying to explain to him in in my roundabout way so yeah if you've not seen it get your hands on improve your course machine page 62 and i fish a a, a venue that was it's 25 foot 30 foot in the middle i was fishing on the slope at 12 and a half meters in about 15 16 foot of water catching some big old slimy bream so yeah brilliant session i'll be back there very very soon i'm going to do a video on slider fishing um it's a, fair, it's a tactic that um you know the venue holds hold itself well towards it it's a tactic that i really like but just don't get to fish enough so i'll be doing that soon so that's improve your course fishing magazine loads and loads going on in there as always match fishing is a real joy this month there's so much going on um so much to consider, so much to think about. But the first thing I wanted to point out was Dave Wesson, the editor, is opening um, Gambit, I guess, is, is opening editorial because he is mirroring what I've been saying throughout these podcasts. And it's all about, he opens up, says, there's no doubt the kudos of fishing for your country at international level has decreased over the last few years. And undeniably, match anglers' aspirations have changed to big, winning big money events as the pinnacle of our sport. And it's exactly what I've just um, discussed with Darren Cox. Uh, with Tommy Pickering, you know, these are the types of things that um, these England internationals 
where is the blurred line now between these big events and fishing for your country? Can you do both, etc.? I find it a fascinating conversation. Both of those guys gave me real insight. And there's a quote here that Dave says in his editorial. It says, up until 20, 25 years ago, the majority of UK match anglers aspired to fish with top teams like Dorking, Essex County and Barnsley. Once they'd made that grade, the next step up was sufficient international level. Well, that's not the case anymore, is it? There's more and more individual events, more and more individual prizes and that's the way that fishing seems to go but i do believe and i said it in one of the previous episodes that i do believe team fishing will evolve and will um grow again perhaps not to the level of these big 10 12 man team events but uh yeah it, it caught my eye straight away because we've spoke about it a number of times through this podcast so obviously i'm on the same wavelength as the uh, the angling media page eight Join Nick Speed as he takes a scientific look at what is happening under the water and how weather conditions and the time of year affect the depth that fish want to feed. Really, really important. A very, very good read. Really, really good article. He talks about learning his craft and learning commercial fishing on the likes of Holcroft and and what he learned and has then taken to other commercial venues and, and he's fishing overall. So a brilliant, brilliant read. I'm not going to spoil it for you, but have a read of, of page six there. A little bit deeper into the magazine, our guest in this episode, Darren Cox, he attacks a very, very small river. It's called Welcome to the Jungle, a stretch of the Warwickshire Stour, where the far bank cover is plentiful and big chub grow. Basically, he's very, very brave. He's fishing a pole across uh, to what looks like a jungle, targeting these big, great big chub up to about sort of four, five, six pound and trying to get them out. Again, I won't spoil it for you, but a very, very good read. I had a little crack at those those pegs that he's attacking there as well. Uh, and he does get a couple, that is for sure. Then the legend of Steve Gardner. Um, probably not in our media as much as, as a lot of us would like. He's got to be one of the England greats representing England at 26 um, world uh, tournaments. Just unbelievable. And, he, and he's there at Old Burial Fisheries putting together nets of my favorite fish with tench bream you've got all sorts going on big roach it's a wonderful read of, uh, of steve gardner and okay he might be might be of the more vintage era now but he certainly knows what he's doing and the last thing that caught my eye in match fishing magazine page 97 it's a method i've never tried and it's something that i think i'm going to have a crack at certainly when the rivers reopen and that's flat fall fishing uh, you've got Ed Warren fish, fishing the Stratford's uh, Lido stretch of the Warwickshire Haven. Um, and he fishes a flat float in very coloured water. And putting a cracking net of fish together, he's using a bait dropper and, and all those great tactics of fishing coloured water, worms, etc., ground bait. My sort of fishing for sure, but I've never done it before. So I think that's one on my to-do list and one to learn definitely. And uh, let's move on then and have the big chat. Teddy Fisher Baits specialize in the manufacture of fishing ground bait and additives. We combine a 40-year-old proven fish catching recipe and the experience of our skilled team. Fishing is an adventure and here at Teddy Fisher we strive to make that adventure a success. Go to www.teddyfisher.co.uk to see our full range of baits. Hi and welcome to The Big Chat. This is episode six and in The Big Chair for The Big Chat, we have none other than legendary all-round angler, England international and Garbolino UK boss, Mr. Darren Cox. How are we, sir? I'm good, thanks, Dave. You? 
Yeah, I'm very well. I'm very well. This is the last in my uh, series of these podcasts, Darren. I, I can't believe how quick it's gone, but it's gone down really, really well. So a big thank you for joining me. You're welcome. I've listened to a couple of them. They're really good, really enjoyable to listen to. Ian Apes is a legend of mine, you know, and he's just he's perfect to uh, to listen to, isn't he? A lot of it's been a lot of memories for me um, as a kid growing up. Those types of anglers, Keith, Ian, Tommy, yeah. were all sort of icons of mine. And it's been great to sort of, you know, chat and talk about various things. But how did it start for you, Darren? Because I say you're a Yorkshireman, but you're living in the Midlands. Um, what are you, York, Sheffield, Leeds? Which part of the, of the county um, are you from? I'm actually from a place called Weatherby or Boston Spa, which is it's right in the middle of the triangle between Harrogate, Leeds and York. You know Weatherby Races? Most people know Weatherby Races. So, yeah, there. So I grew yeah, up on River Wharf. Um, and I started fishing as a young kid. I was desperate to go fishing. I don't know why. I don't know what prompted me. I think I must have just seen somebody down the river. And it, my dad didn't fish. And I nagged him to go fishing. And unbeknownst to me, he actually went fishing with... Um, great friend of his, a guy called Jerry Boyu, who's, who's sadly not with us anymore. And Jerry taught my dad what to do, the basics. And then my dad bought some gear and he took me fishing. And we learned together. He, had, he knew a little bit more than me, but obviously I was mad, mad keen. And suddenly we spent a life in fishing together, which was amazing. And was that on the river, your first trip? Yeah, first trip. It's actually on the River Nid, my first trip, which sounds a bit daft because I live on the wharf, Weatherby. But um, Jerry had this little tiny stretch of the River Nid. Um, it was literally 100 metres. And yeah. it was just, it, well, it ended up just ours, my dad's, mine and Jerry's. And it was um, back of an old tyre yard. And uh, But it was out in the sticks, you know, it was, it was beautiful. And, you know, my first fish I ever caught was a gudgeon. Yeah. A beautiful little marble like look like tiny little barbled or beautiful creatures they are and then i caught a chub about 10 ounce and that was me i was hooked fantastic well i think you know the joke because we've just discussed before we came on air um we do this sort of past present and future so you give us a nice little glimpse there into past and i'm thinking actually i do you know your area because um i lived in bradford for a year and i'm thinking right. when you go up the sort of a1 area you've, you've got a lot of you've got the wharf nid obviously the air the yore not for, far up well, rip and so exactly right yeah i mean if, if you go from weatherby you go straight over the wharf then Five miles later, you go over the river mid at Huntingdon, Cowthorpe, up that way. Then you go a little bit further, you go over the Ure, and a little bit further, you go over the Swale. So it's packed with beautiful, you know, natural And then, of course, the ewes at York as well. So you've got loads to go out up there. Yeah. So I fished the York basically between, um, well, Dunsforth, right all the way through to to below York. Great, great venue. Hard, but great. Is that what you sort of grew up learning to fish rivers and running water, or did you did you branch out to canals and still waters as well, or was it was it what was the mixture? It was. Um, I started first of all on on this little tiny stretch of the River Nid, like I said, and that 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 sort of that really got me hooked. Um, but as a young kid who was raising the angling times every week, I wanted to go <laughs> bone fishing and Cubans, things like that. I was like mad, you know, I wanted to go everywhere. But we, what happened was we had those first couple of years on that little stretch of river and then we joined Weatherby Angling Club and suddenly we 
went on the river at Weatherby, and that was really hard and really difficult. We struggled there. We used to go pike fishing in winter and catch some pike, which was great fun on a great big toby low, you know, a spoon. Mm. Yeah. Um, and that was great. I loved that because as a young kid, you want to catch something that bites you back, don't you? And it, it, was just, <laughs> it was just great. You know, I, I loved it. But then we progressed. When we used to go to a place which was actually 30-odd miles away from Weatherby. It was a place called Wapplington Pond near Pocklington. Right, yeah, yeah. And it was that's the other side of York to, on the Bridlington Road. Tiny little pond. I think it had 24, 25 pegs in it, and there were probably only about 12 of them that were fishable. Yeah. It was full full of roach and perch and silver bream, and there was loads of tension in it, but they drove me mad because I never caught one for about five years. They absolutely drove me <laughs> mad as a kid. I was desperate to catch one. and then. Finally, I caught one, which was four pound four ounces, and and they, they were like buses. They all came at once, and I caught loads. It was brilliant, and yeah. um, it was one of those places. It was like it was like a little heaven. It was just on lily pads, crystal clear water, quite deep water, and you know, you used to like I said, I used to read all the books, and because we didn't have you know internet and podcasts and of course no Facebook and. YouTube and everything then, you know, we, we had to read back then, didn't we? You, know, right. <laughs> you, you learn the hard way, dead yeah. right. It's, it takes me back to a similar story when I was a kid. It was a friend of mine, a friend of my brother's. He said, I'll take you out to a water, a two-minute drive from the house. Didn't even know it existed. It was a tiny little pond called the Figure of Eight, exactly yeah. what it was shaped like. And uh, I remember the first time the flow went under. I think I'd, I'd got a little six-meter pole first time I'd used it, mm. and, uh, and it was a cruising cap. It was the first mm-hmm. cruising cap I'd ever caught. And then you just think to yourself, probably like you did with this pond at Pocklin, says, what's in here? You know, and you've got to keep going back then and Absolutely. trying to get the, these fish. It's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, but, it's like a personal crusade, isn't it, to uh, to catch them all? <laughs> yeah, it's like I'd heard there's carp in there and I was like, you know, I've got to catch one of these these old farmers' carp. You know, they'd never, never yeah. been stocked, this little pond. It was, Yeah, it was good fun. But what about matches then, Darren? So obviously I, I, I do a little bit of research before I, I do these podcasts and uh, first place I headed to for yourself was your, your bio on the Garbalina website. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> the list of <laughs> achievements on there. I, I wow. couldn't. I couldn't pick them out. I couldn't just say, right, and you know, for the intro piece, like, where do I even start? So I thought, no, no, we'll leave it to the chat. So how did you get into match fishing to start with? Was it through the club fishing, the Weatherby matches, or did you, did you start elsewhere? It was exactly that, yeah. Yeah. It was. It was I mean, they had some junior matches, but they were, they were, there was a, one guy who used to run them, uh, Francis Atkinson, again, he's got long gone, but he was a great bloke. And, and then... My dad got involved helping because it ended up there was about forty five juniors and thir- you know thirty. I think they they used to have matches at Wappington Pond, and it was a sellout and it was a bus full and I think they could get something like thirty five on a coach. Yeah. So and maybe thirty nine. I seem to remember. It sounds daft, but I do remember it because my dad used to they used to phone up and I used to have to put the names in the in the um, the book for booking in and that's. That's where I started, yeah. and I would have been, uh, I would have been probably ten. Mm. That's a buoyant club scene, that though, isn't it? Thirty it, odd, forty, thirty juniors. Yeah, it was. Back in the day, there were a lot more junior anglers fishing, mm. um, and a lot more dads fishing, and that's probably the reason why 
there were a lot more youngsters fishing. Um, Absolutely. Like you say, yeah. no distractions, no internet, no Facebook yeah. and all the rest yeah. of it. But with that then, with sort of 40-odd juniors and whatnot, and do you still fish with any of those lads that you grew up with? I mean, I know they're still back, probably back in Yorkshire or whatever, but do you ever see any of them? Yeah, I do. Uh, I keep That's in great. contact with quite a few of them. There's one, one or two of the lads. Uh, Nick Sutton was a lad. Yeah, I went to school with Nick. Um, and... I've known, you know, I've known Nick ever ever since then. Still keeping touch. He comes down. I've I've got a, um, a couple of stretches of the Avon and that, and he loves the Avon. So I just say, uh, get on that peg, and he goes and catches twenty pounder roach. Thinks he's in heaven. It's beautiful. I bet, yeah. And beautiful. yeah, Tom Tom Gordon, who I didn't fish with him in the junior club, but I met Tom, became a friend with Tom when I was about probably thirteen. But he lived in Boston Spa. And then I moved to Boston Spa from Weatherby, which is only three miles, but it, it was like a different world. And this yeah. Boston Spa was the best river fishing you could find in the country. It was amazing. It was Weatherby was tough because most of the fishing was above a weir and it was slow and quite slow. still. Yeah. But in, and it was great in winter fishing. You catch loads of roach and dace up above the weir. And we used to catch 60 pounds a dace in, in, wow. in winter pleasure fishing. It's fantastic. But Boston Spa was more of a summer, beautiful gravel runs, chub and barbel, and even green, but and lots of dace as well. Very few roach, um, but lots and lots of dace. Um, bread, bread and butter, that isn't it? Lovely oh, stuff. You've got... If you can catch dice and roach, mate, you can catch anything. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. And was was the club running matches on those stretches? Yeah, well, that's it. As I say, it's funny because I, I moved to Boston Spa. And I, was, I think I was about. I was actually just going up to high school. I stayed at Weatherby High School, and I was and I was living in Boston Spa. And it was the best thing that could have ever happened to me in terms of my fishing, because I was I could get my bike, and within about four minutes, I could be at the river. And I it was a classic. You probably did it yourself. You strapped the rod to the crossbar, yeah. and I had a little trout bag, yeah. and. A, land, a, a trout landing net. I put my waders on and I used to go fishing all over down the river. And so I'd go in the weir pool tonight and I'd, and, you know, I'd have a maggot bag around my net and that's the only bait you would take. If you were going to go try and catch chub and barber, you'd have a tin of meat, but you couldn't really take two rods. So you just had, you went to fish for chub and barber that night. Yeah. And that's how I learned my craft. And I used, I used to spend hours, if I wasn't fishing, I'd be sat on the river bridge watching anglers fishing on what we call the day ticket side. There was like the private stretch, and I was allowed to go on the private stretch because I had a club book. I was a member. Mm. And the other side was a day ticket side. And you could guarantee there were always a couple of anglers on the day ticket pegs just below the bridge. So I'd, I'd nip down and just watch them. And you could see them throwing the maggots in, and they'd be fishing stick float. And they'd be getting 25 bites and seeing one of them. And, you know, I'm not dissing them. If I was down there, I'd be doing the same. I'd be getting 25 bites, not seeing. But that's how I learned how to try and catch them. You know, they were fishing too heavy as I was at the time. So I started making me on floats, little tiny. We call them cattle floats. We designed them actually for the for the River Nid at Cattle, which is just down from where, where we spent all that time as a real young kid. Yeah. These tiny little floats, that they were almost, you know, three number eight sort of thing. 
with a little, yeah, yeah. Tiny, little tiny wire on the base, which gave you the weight to cast far enough out. But they were they were almost self cocking, and the dice would just pull them under and not realise they were hooked. Not realize wow. And it yeah. just, I just learnt so much from watching fish. I get. I take it that you got into a team from then. Would that be correct? Yeah, absolutely. When I, I used to fish the river all the time. I remember going to the river every single day in the school holidays when I was a kid, every day. And I knew every stretch of river, every, every little bit of it. And I had this desire to fish canals next. That was what I wanted to do. We had great canals in Centre of Leeds, Bingley, Rodley, Silsden, Keithley, all the way up the Air Valley. It was fantastic. So I used, I used to get on a bus with my mate, Eddie Edwards, to go to Leeds. And then we'd go from Leeds out on the Bradford bus and then go along the canal there. And I learned about canals so quickly then, and that was fantastic. And it, it was when I started fishing canals that uh, I used to fish as a junior um, in a team. We used to, we were called Lower Wharf, the area. Um, so you had Weatherby, Boston Span, Tadcaster, Tadcaster where all the beers brewed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, that, that was only two miles away. And... Um, so we used to have challenge matches against the three of us. And I used to fish for Weatherby because my dad was still the um, secretary of the juniors at Weatherby. So I was a captain of Weatherby. And then um, what we used to do was we used to team up as Lower Wharf, the three clubs, and fish against, um, we used to fish the junior regional champs. Mm-hmm. And I was actually spotted by one of the leads. It was a, a, a guy called um, Alan Howe who was part of the Leeds and District setup, And he came to me one day and he said, there's a, there's a membership book there for Leeds and District. He said, it's, you get, you know, hundreds of miles of water. You can have that. It's free of charge. So I'd just like you to come to one of the um, um, trials and, and, and come and have a go and fish for Leeds Juniors. And that, that was it then. I fished for Leeds Juniors uh, with some fantastic anglers. Um, and we travelled up and down the country. We won junior nationals, uh, fishing against the likes of um, Brad Titmus, Steve Hemingway, Richard Kinsley, uh, you know, all the old Leicester lads that are still about now. Um, they were great friends of mine, and, and it, it was a, a fantastic time. So that was what I did as a junior. But then at the same time, when I was old enough, um, and allowed to, I fished for Boston Spa in the Nationals. Um, and again, I think we were about in Division 3 then. There were probably four divisions, we were in Division 3, and we one year we got promotion. But I fished with a guy who actually fished for England, a guy called Howard Robson. Okay. Um, Howard was an amazing, amazing angler. And him myself and Tom Gorsden. He was a school teacher, Howard. And, and he, he almost took it upon himself to tell us as much as he, he could about match fishing. And he just basically schooled us. And, and, he, and he, he, he imparted every bit of knowledge he could, but he made us work for it. And he made us, he made us understand it and question it before we actually copied him and did it and it just a, such a clever clever angler um we used to travel up and down to trent in you know like in the summer because he was a school teacher i was still at in sixth form or at uni whatever then 
and Tom, you know, Tom was a school teacher at the time as well. So we had great times up and down. And and, and that's basically, so I was fishing the juniors for Leeds and then I was fishing for Boston Spa and seniors. And then Leeds and district seniors asked me to join them, which I did. And it was then Leeds Tetley, which was um, run by a guy called Ron Fernley. So Leeds Tetley, and then it became Leeds Shimano. Fish with some and great anglers there, fantastic. They anglers. would have been in Division 1 then, I guess. Yeah, they were, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so I fished them for a few years. Um, and in the meantime, a guy called Stan Haig, who's still really good angler now, Dave Thomas, who was yeah. former world Ex-world champion. World champ, yeah. yeah. Keith Lidget, who um, was one of the best anglers on the river with them um, years and years ago. They formed Leeds Anglers World. Mm-hmm. And they asked me, as in the Anglers World Holidays. Anglers World Holidays, yeah. Martin Founds from Anglers World Holidays um, sponsored us, and formerly Anglers World started in Division Five on the Witham and flew all the way through the divisions, um, winning um, a couple of them on the way uh, and having a fantastic time. So I, I really learned um, a lot from you know, like going up the divisions. With, because we were fishing against Highfield just come into the um come onto the scene. Yeah. And so got to know Vinny and Mark Addy and, and well all all the team, the Highfield team, what a laugh, you know, Craig Evans and Gary Powers. Well, weren't bad, were they? Brilliant, brilliant lads, great anglers, great fun, Johnny Holt and all those people who do they're brilliant. Um so learn so much coming up through the ranks, you know, and we, we used to go practice a lot on these nationals, wherever it was, Royal Military Canal, River Within, Gloucester Canal, Trent, uh, you know, we, we, it was just amazing. To, um, not only were we learning, but we were winning and you were getting confident. Goldthorpe were another team that yes, coming up through the ranks at the same time. And so it was, it was fantastic. Trev's, they were another one. Um, Great, a great time in in my life for for learning so much about fishing. And such diverse venues that you've just name checked there as well. You know, when yeah. I think about that, I've only ever fished one national myself. Yeah. I was fifteen, and I was in a senior squad, similar to what you just said. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Total eye opener. It was on the Welland Coronation Channel. Um, yeah. It was a Div Three, I think, and I think there was four at the time. Yeah. Four, yeah. Four. four, four Four, uh, four leagues and uh, it was like a rabbit in headlights you know you turn <laughs> up and there's nine, 900 blokes all there uh, queuing up at it's a, incredible isn't it yeah it just you just not you just don't see it nowadays do you and uh no, and then you jump on a bus wouldn't you with, with all these <laughs> yeah guys. just to get to your section yeah <laughs> and yeah. like there's people you, you know as a young kid you jump on this coach and there's tackle everywhere and there's anglers that if you're really lucky you might know one of them <laughs> that's right yeah, well, but, and as I say, at 15, I was like, you know, I didn't know what. And luckily, a bit of a Shakespeare box and an old doll, you, <laughs> you could march for miles. Yeah. Moving on from, I guess, talking, coming a bit more modern times. So from a junior to, you know, intermediate and jumping into that, that Leeds Anglers World Squad and, and winning nationals and flying through. How did you end up then moving from, from God's own country, if you like, down God's to the Midlands? And, yeah, yeah, you would call it that, <laughs> not me. Not, not as a Lancastrian, yeah. but oh, yeah. No. Alcumia. Um, how do you then end up sort of, how did the Garbolino story start? Well, it's funny because, you know, your podcast, 
with Ian Heaps. Yeah, I'll come on to that in a second, and you'll 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 be amazed at the um, the way that it happened. I was I did a H and D in business studies, and I did a postgrad postgraduate um, in marketing management, and I did that at Stoke on Trent, uh, right. North Stas Poly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I did my H and D at Bolton. Um, so not that far from where you are, is it? Not at all. Not now. No. I'm in Lincolnshire now, but yeah, oh, I am um, oh, not right, far yeah. from Bolton, where I'm yeah. originally from. No. Yeah. So um, for my dissertation, I had to basically do a like a, a fifteen thousand word project on marketing, and they said to me, "You can do it from the library and stay here, or if you want, if you can get a company to sponsor you, you can." Um, do the work for them. Yeah. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to write to a load of fishing companies. So I wrote to five fishing companies. Mm-hmm. One was Ryobi, the one was Shakespeare, Daiwa, D-A-M. And, <laughs> Ian Apes mentioned, yeah. Yeah, there you go, D-A-M. And one other, I can't remember. I'll tell you what it was. It was NB Angle Sport. You know, the oh, AS1 box. Oh, the AS1 boxes. box. Yeah, I had yeah. no idea. It was just... Um, a one-man band, so I just, I mean, I, I love those boxes, so I thought I'll do some work for him. But anyway, cut a long story short, a guy called Pat Byrne and Chris Aylert, who Chris Aylert, Ian mentioned in the yeah. podcast, they gave me a call. I said, come on, you can come and do some work for us. Day AM. So I went down to Lamington Spa, which is about 11 miles from where I live now, and did this basically a market research on uh, luggage, fishing luggage for them. Right. <clears throat> so I presented this uh, market research to them. I presented it to my um, Polly at North Stas. I got a distinction in my postgraduate and I got offered a job by DEM straight away. They said, we'd love to have you. You're a great lad. We know you like fishing, you'd fit in well. Come and work for Chris Chris got me up. He said, Come and work for me. I said, Absolutely. I didn't even ask him what salary was. <laughs> no, I yeah, just, I'm there. Uh, I've got a job in fishing. It says, Wow. And it was. I was like a kid in a sweet shop. It was absolutely amazing. It was. And one of my first jobs as a marketing assistant, that's what I was at the time. Yeah. One of my first jobs was to be the guy who carted all the DAM um, roadshow stuff around to Ian Heaps' roadshows, of which <laughs> you went to. Yeah, I did and indeed, I, absolutely. I, I probably did 150 of them in uh, three years with Ian. And wow. When, you know, you know, you go down there and suddenly you've got this guy who goes on these roadshows two or three nights a week. Doing his doing his films and you've got the Irish tourist board there. You've got ground bait companies there, and there's all these anglers, and it's just amazing. And and, and I, I'm there as this young kid, rabbit in headlight job again. Yeah. And it's but before you realise it, I was I knew what I was doing. And anyway, about four months down the line of being at this biggest school in the world for, for me, Chris Ayler, the boss of the company, came down one night and. It, we were in, I think we were in Uxbridge or something like that, and Kevin Ashurst was there. He was one of the star guests. It was Kevin Ashurst, 
there was Ian Heaps, and there was supposed to be one other who couldn't make it. And Chris said, oh, don't worry, Darren will do it. So there's Kevin Ashurst, Ian Heaps, and little old Darren Cox here on a stage in front of 500 people. <laughs> and I've, I've never done any public speaking before in my life. <laughs> and I'm and I'm there. So there's people firing questions at, at these world champions. And I'm one of the ones that's got to answer them as well. So I did my best and hopefully I, I held my own a little bit, but I was very careful not to um, say anything daft, just say a few things, be sensible and let the stars run the show, you know, because that's I was there to see them as well as well as they were there to see them. So yeah, that that was my first job. That's how I came down to Warwickshire. And that's why I'm still in Warwickshire. Um as Ian reported in his uh podcast about Chris Ayler, um it was DAM and Chris fell out with the Germans, basically. And um, so they withdrew the franchise. So he was a 49% shareholder. They were 51. So they took it off him. Um, and then we were left. No, then we were left with, we had um, Gablino. We had Milo. um we had Brennan Hickman, Mustad, quite a few different brands. Chris, had, I think Chris had got an inkling that this was going to happen because the market was changing and brands were moving into different countries and things. So Chris created this wholesale company that sold brands um, and basically said to me, look, we've got loads of fish and tackle. I can't afford to do any marketing. I want you to get on the road and I want you to sell fish and tackle to front for me so i said chris i'll do whatever it needs to help the company succeed and so he sent me back up to yorkshire for 18 months to to build a patch selling patch and i sold to the northeast and yorkshire and, and built a patch up and then he dragged me back down he said right he said i want you back in the office now because i need you and we employed some before basically full time to be a salesman up there. So it was it was really good, good good grounding. I went out and visited the tackle shops, made lots of friends in the tackle shops, understood how tackle tackle shops worked. Yeah. Uh, as a kid I worked in Lower Wharf Anglers, um who it was actually my father in law that he is now, um that ran the business, Dave. Um married his uh, lovely daughter Jules. Still, still married now, um, despite being a fishing nut. <laughs> I was going to say, well, if, if yeah. her father owned a tackle shop, she's she's grown up with it, hasn't she? Yeah, yeah, she's a, she's hardy to it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, so that's you know, I came back to um, the company was a fairly nondescript tackle sales, we called it, um, because we wanted the brands to shine rather than the name of the business, because they were multi brands. And um, in the end, the business was sold to Leader. Aha, uh-huh. okay. And I was asked to go with the business. So um, I became a, a minor shareholder in the, the Leader business. Um, and then we built Leader up into a, a, a really big company for it took us about six, seven years. Again, I learned so much. Um, I was involved in. 
I was basically product manager then at Leader. Um, managed Garbolino, MAP, um, Steadfast, created the Steadfast 2XL brand. <clears throat> um, dealing with, you know, all kinds of brands and working with suppliers, going over to China and, and, and working with Chinese suppliers over there. So real experience and doing pretty much doing everything you could ever imagine within fishing tackle from sourcing it to selling it. Um, and in the meantime, going out, testing it and using it and, and really enjoying my job, in all honesty. I've, I've, you know, I've been very, very lucky. Um, so that, that's where I ended up, leader. Um, then the reason I am now at Garbolino is Garbolino wanted me to take the brand on uh, and set a, bu- a business on, on their own. Um, and I'll be honest with you, I'm, I'm a very loyal person. I'd, I'd, I'd never actually jump ship and move jobs. So I, I went with the flow, as it were. I went with the brands and everything to the different jobs. But Leader bought MAP from Dave Harrell and, and uh, Fosters of Birmingham. Yeah, just a distinction for the listeners there, because they, and not a lot of people know this. So Dave Harrell, and I can let the listeners know, actually, at this point, Dave will be one of our guests in Series 2. Yeah. It yeah. used to be called Midland Angling Products. That it is MAP. MAP, Midland Angling yeah. Products, yeah. Which and then Dave, when it was sold, it's Match Angling Products. Is That's yeah. right, isn't it? Yeah, that's right, yeah. Just so, a distinction for the listeners, because I, yeah. I don't think that many appreciate that it was Dave's company once upon a time. But yeah. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, Dave was the, he was the driving force behind it. Fosters of Birmingham... Uh, basically, what happened was that Dave would he was building uh, floats from manufacturers in the UK. Yeah. Um, he was buying blanks, rod blanks from manufacturers in the UK, and Fossers of Birmingham started to sell them out of the shop. And, and basically, there's a guy called Bob the Rod who still works at, at Fossers. <laughs> what a great name! Is that uh, right? Yeah, Bob even the Rod. Bob the Rod. He, he's even better as a Leeds fan. Oh, crikey. <laughs> and he's still making and building rods to this day. But he, he was building most of the MAP rods. Yeah. So um, what Leader did was they took that brand, because they were selling the brand at that time anyway, and they were sourcing it. They were sourcing the brand for MAP at the time because it had got so big. So we, we were actually buying it, products from China at that time. So Leader wanted to buy the brand. And so they took that on. So this was the first match brand they had that they owned because mm-hmm. most of the others were just franchises. So it was in Leader's interest to, to try and build that brand up. And at that point, it was a direct clash with Garblina. Of course. So we were in a, a meeting and I was asked what I would do and uh, what would you do if um, if you were us sort of thing? I said, well, if if I was um, actually because at the time we'd sold Leader um, to to a big a big business, so I was just employed at that time. I wasn't a shareholder, um, so I was just there to basically advise. And I, I said, if if it was me, I would concentrate on MAP because I would own the brand, so I'd want to build that business up. So they said, well, what does that mean for Darren Cox and where are you going to be in two years' time if we haven't gone Garblina? I said, 
who knows, but that shouldn't be our concern. The concern should be um, MAP and growing it. And they respected what I said, and they knew that I would probably go with the brand, and, and, and that's what I did. So that's how I ended up at Garblina. To cut a very long story short, <laughs> no. To be honest, it's, it all makes sense because what you what you just said about the loyalty piece, everything that you've just done is organic. Yeah, there's not absolutely. been anything that's been forced. There's not anything that's you know you've been honest all the way through, and that's just the way it's it's led yeah. to, to yeah. how it is. And uh, and that, and just talking about those, Brett, they are still there. Map is still part of leader, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, yeah. Got Witchwood and, very well with it. Yeah. 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 Um, Wow, really interesting story. Now, obviously, it's the Garblino French. Yeah. Um, I can see your team's building as well. I noticed a little uh, note today from good old good old mate of mine, Les. He posted out uh, that Jamie Wilder's joined your team of yeah. consultants as well. So, yeah, yeah I mean, that, that team you've got, I mean, Asa Fisher against Swainy up in the northwest when I was there as well. Um, what's the plans then for, for Garblino moving forward? Well, we've just had a bit of a hiccup with Brexit, which has cost us a... As a couple of months in terms of growth and stuff like that, but that seems to be a bit more behind us now. But um, it's just um, we're organically growing, and we have been for a number of years. Um, we're not a wealthy business um, where we can just plough a lot of money in, but there's money there if we can justify that it's worth investing. So, you know, we've gone from basically when, when I – started to take it on originally when I left leader gone from just selling poles and, and a few rods to being a brand that sells everything now yeah and it's taken a lot of years uh, but Garbrino is a huge brand in France mm-hmm. and for many many years it's one of the biggest isn't it yeah, it's, it's the second biggest in France in terms of match fishing products what, what's the first reef Sen- census is the biggest census yeah okay yeah um, and Census and Garbrino have pretty much held most of the lion's share of the business in France. Yeah. But a lot of what they did in France didn't help us. You know, they, they've got 13-metre limits on poles, and, and a £2,000 pole, if you try and sell a 13-metre pole over here, you've got no chance. So I was having to redevelop the poles to make 16-metre poles rather than 13-metre. So it's it sounds daft, Dave, but it, if you make a th- the best 13-metre pole, you can't turn it into a 16-metre pole. <laughs> yeah. Because if you just throw two barrels up the end of it, the balance is completely out. Completely out. So, so you've got to make a 16-metre pole. Well, I guess, is that the clue in the name? So when I think about the, crikey, what's the last range? <coughs> last range, I had a waggle of Garbolino. So UK1, UK2, UK. Yeah. Uh, the clue's in the name, right? They've been designed for the UK market, I suppose. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And whereas you'll see, I mean, other brands, um, there's quite a lot of other brands that where you've got 13-metre pole and then you get to extensions, for example. Mm-hmm. That's utilising existing products from abroad. Um, there's quite a lot of other brands that will have a 14.5 metre pole that goes on into one, ours is one of them, uh, and then you have a, an extension because what's happening is you, you're not putting parallel sections on. You're actually put, going down to your 14.5 metre section 
and the the sections are still getting slightly bigger and when they are slightly bigger obviously they could be more rigid because the conicity is greater and, and, and the pole holds its length better at, at its longer lengths yeah yeah well, well thinking about it as well then with Garbolino this thinking of the brand I've not, not even got any notes on the brand I'm just off the top of my head there's some classics in there I, I, there's not many lads I know or lasses a few ladies I know that have used them as well the Rocket Feeder Rocket Feeder <laughs> like, yeah what a rod that was yeah. I, you, I don't think we've we've had a version for a while I'm not too sure well, it's, um, it's we went rocket and super rocket, and then we moved to bullet. Yes. Uh, and now we've had silver bullet. So you know we're still going, uh, and the, they're a great rod. But obviously, with inflation and stuff, you know it's not a twenty-five, thirty quid rod now. It's a thirty-five to fifty quid rod. But, and I think as well, it's that competitive. Everybody's in that space now, aren't they? That sort of trying to get the best they can get at, yeah. the, at the cheapest possible price. And um, okay, so I mean, that's a great story. That with the whole Garbolino piece and the and the growth. And you, you just give us a real good overview of of how you started and grew through clubs. We have crossed swords a few times, Darren, and to be quite frank. In fact, on the Garbolino Club Angle of the Year competition. <laughs> uh, last year, Lindholm, you drew me an absolute flyer, so you can do that again for me this year, please. I'll, I'll try my best. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and for me, I want to bring this up on behalf of, um, I'm in two clubs now, all, all my team from, all my guys from Manchester. I'm still in that club, even though I've now moved and, I, and I've got a little club down here in Lincolnshire. And yeah. we are all, you know, both clubs are involved with the competition over the years. Um, and everybody, who I said, oh, Darren's on on the last show and they've all said, oh, you know, thank him because there's no other real tackle company or an individual like yourself who gives as much attention to the club scene as probably you guys have over these well, last few years. That's lovely to hear. It really is. No, and, and it's it's a big, big thank you. It really is because yeah, it's it's the nice. highlight of the season. It really is. And I know, let's flip it around a bit. I know what you're like. You get up, you do your intro and you say thanks to you lads and lasses for coming along. And actually, it's the other way around. It's no thank you for putting this on. Well, it's, um, it's, it's both, you know, you look at... Um, the consumer and how much club anglers buy in this marketplace and club anglers and pleasure anglers are pretty much what makes the world go around in terms of um well, course that, that was what i was going to get to i was going to say in my opinion it's all good and well having all you know these these top top names and and sort of consultants in the mags and all the rest of it but actually reality to the tackle industry is that Club anglers and pleasure anglers are the scene. It's not your top sponsored match angler that um, helps the fishing tackle retailer, is it? It's every single one of those club anglers that dis- desire to be top anglers or just want to be an angler that goes fishing to enjoy his fishing with his mates on a weekly or a quarterly or whenever basis. And they are the people that make the world go round in terms of fishing, without a doubt. Without them... We can't have brands. We can't function. Uh, and that's why... Well, it was Dave Harrell myself, when Dave was at Match Fishing Magazine, we, we said, what can we do? Well, how, can we, how can we do something? And I sort of looked at the product ranges we do at the time, and you mentioned Rocket, and, and, yeah. and it, it sounds crazy, but it was our Rocket Angler that 
you know, these are the people that helped grow our brand massively at the time. And we were selling thousands and thousands of these rods. We were the only ones that were doing those rods in the marketplace. And like you say, everybody does them now because they've seen how many we've, we've sold in the past and, and they've jumped on jumped on the bandwagon and, and, and they've moved rods on as well. You know, everybody's got good rods, which is great. It's your club angler. I think he's fantastic. I, I, I try to go to most of the qualifiers uh, and I'm always at the final. Um, and I go there because I, I actually love it. And, and it's nice. I've got friends there that I see every year. And, you know, it's just great to see them. It's great to have a chat, get, great to have a catch-up. And it's great to see what the lads are using. Yeah, you know, that's it's, a good it's point. A great, yeah. It's a great market research exercise for for for, for a, a brand that is looking at what's popular. Cause, I love it. I love it, yeah, because you can see what people are spending yeah. on, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it's all right. It ticks every box as far as I'm concerned. Do you know what I like about it as well, Darren? I like the fact that you have the other guys with you. I remember on, there was one a few years ago, um, and I'd drawn on, uh, I can't remember, it might have been Highpool. It was at Tunnel Van. And yeah. Steve Cook, Cookie was walking around, yeah. and he said one thing that made a difference, and I started catching. I was like, I yeah. never thought of that. Just these yeah. little sort of, I love the fact that the other guys are sort of wandering around and, and giving, you know, the tips and tricks and just not even, t- not telling you what to, but making you think about something you might not have thought of in the first instance. Yeah, I mean, I've always, I mean, I've, I put a little bit of a brief together from a few years ago when we started it, but these, most of the lads now have done it so much that they can, you know, they'd be there to do it because they, they go there and they know that, that it's a fishing match and it's competitive, but we are indiscriminate. We'll help everybody or anybody. Um, and if anybody asks our advice, and some people do regularly because they know that we'll give advice, other people are interested, just going to get in the zone and leave me alone. And we, we obviously we respect that. But anybody who wants advice, we'll give it at the start of the match, during the match, and after the match. No problem. Yeah, no, 100%. Well, as I say, just on a final note with that piece, um, Big, big thank you from my two clubs that I'm in. No, thank you. Sure. I really appreciate that. That's wonderful. Thank you. Brilliant. All right. So let's um, let's move on slightly on to, just want to quickly talk about um, a little bit about your international career. Yeah. Um, because I, I introduced you as an all-rounder at the start. I mean, crikey, what if we had? We've had European Championships, flow only. We've had England feeder team, just a real sort of mixed bag. And then you look at the, the list of achievements. So England-wise... Um, what are your memories? What are your have you still got ambitions for England? Uh, and second of all, um, I want to talk to you briefly about big finals as well and, and that mindset. So yeah. I guess they both go hand in hand. To fish for your country, you've got to have a pretty sort of strong will and to fish these big, big finals like you've done as well. So what is the the mindset and, and what are your thoughts on England now? Um, first of all, England, I've um all I've wanted to do as a kid was fish for England. Yeah. I, I just I just thought wow, every kid's dream. Every every kid's dream. And I've I've come to um Warwickshire. I've been chucked in a, a van three days a week with a former world champion Ian Apes that just filled my head with so much information I can't believe it. Got Mark Downs who's also sponsored by 
um, DAM at the time, um, and I got to know him, and, and, and basically I was invited to join the Starlets, but another dream come true, and, and everything just came together. I just started fishing much better. I got There was all this information, all these people around me that I could just suck all this information from, and I just thrived with it and loved it. And I was a single lad down here, and I used to go fishing all the time, all the time. And I'd go travel around all the matches and everything. So yeah. I worked hard, really, really hard. Uh, and I did really well in a lot of big matches, and I was delighted with it, over moon with it. Um, I learned more li- living and breathing with starlets than you could ever imagine because there were so many people to bounce off. You know, I speak to, still speak to Sean Ashby every week now, uh, one of my best friends, you know, lifelong friends, but loads and loads of them. And, and they all helped build me into the angle I am, and hopefully I helped them do the same but between us we grew up and just got better and better and um when suddenly you're asked to fish for england it's just wow wow and and i'll never forget it the first time i ever fished for england was in um it was at first and lakes in oh milton Keynes. milton Keynes, yeah home international yeah. and it was it was it was a fantastic absolutely fantastic weekend and a few days practicing and Stephen Hemgray and I um we just teamed up <clears throat> with the new boys and went down did a lot of practicing and we, we did really well. We won the home international it was fantastic. And that gave me a lot of confidence. It felt good. Yeah. Then the next I think the next year we went to France to uh, uh, catfish lake which was incredible and not, not not really caught many catfish before. Uh, but I, I, I won the first day um, on weight and I won the section, so it was fantastic. And then the second day I won the section again, so I was I was joint top overall with Eric Luban. He, he beat me on weight, so I ended up second, which was absolutely over the moon. Building my confidence up, building my confidence up. And then I got asked to fish in the European side, I remember we went to um, Slovakia on this unbelievable water course. It was like a raging torrent. Wow. Fish 50 gram flat floats. I was completely out of my depth. Yes, I caught loads of fish, caught plenty of fish in practice, but I just wasn't as good as the lads who had already been doing it. They, they were like two or three years in front of me before I even started. You know, they'd all done it all before, but I was learning. And I sort of discounted myself for being select being selected that, that time. I had a chat with Mark Addy and Mark Downs and said, look, you know, count me out. I'll run the bank. I'll be the, I'll be the sixth man and I'll do a good job. Um, yeah. And I travelled all – I'll never, I'll never forget it uh, because I travelled all the way to Slovakia in a van with Alan Scothorn and um, Stu Conroy and um, – and then I travel all the way back, and I haven't actually fished the match. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But they gave me a chance to fish on the on the second day, um, and because and I think it's Alan that would have dropped out because he was the lowest scorer, and we hadn't done particularly well 
anyway. Um, so we weren't really in the running. Um, and I was offered the opportunity to, to, to jump in and I said no. I'll never forget Stevie Gardner saying, you know, why you should have fished. You know, that's how keen Stevie is. He said, you should have fished. You should have jumped in and fished. Get, never, never give up an opportunity. Yeah. And I thought, mm, should I have done it? And anyway, cut a long story short, Alan drew peg one on the whole match then. And I thought to myself, oh my goodness. You know, if I, that, would, that could have been me. I could have been on peg one. Anyway, it did no good. It was, it was no fish there. He couldn't catch anything. And that, that would have just frazzled me. It would have just fried me. I just thought I would have I'd have just imploded. So it was actually the right decision. But, you know, it's you're sort of building them up and building up and building them and getting confident. And then you go to the that level and it's such a fine line between doing well and bombing out. Such a fine line. You know, it's like somebody once said to me, squash players, it, I play this squash player. He's about three or four percent better than me, and I can't ever beat him. And it's just those fine lines. Three or four percent sounds like nothing, doesn't it? Yeah. But you know these these guys. Like that's why England have always been so good. That's the, why they've always been so dominant. They're always you know five, six, ten percent better than everybody else in the world, or they, they were. But the world's caught up now because so much information available. And so, sorry, to answer, answer your question, um, it, it is amazing to to be involved, but you need a few breaks. And I didn't quite get those breaks I needed to drive me any further. And a lot of that was to do with the strength of the squad at the time. It was amazing. And you had you had to. It was like dead man's shoes, and you had to wait for somebody to fail to get that chance. And a lot of the time, they weren't failing; they were just so good, and they were shining against the world. And it was very very hard to, to you know, to, to break through in that respect. And I was working hard. I had a young family. I was working hard, and and that was at the point when Leader was being sold and things like that. You know, um, and I was taking over with Galway. You know. So all sorts happened. Okay, so that was the England float fishing team that we've just discussed there. But then obviously as time's gone on, and I imagine the leader thing had moved on and you were settled in Garbolino. And then obviously Tommy picked up the baton with this England feeder team. And uh, we know you can chuck a pig out. So where did the <laughs> uh, where did the, the feeder part come into it then? Well, Tommy actually came to me, I remember, before anyone had even heard that there was going to be a, a feeder world championships and Tommy came to me. I was down at Whitehackers and he said, "Look, I'll talk to you." And he came around and sat down with a couple of them. There's going to be a feeder world championships. Uh, I want you to be part of the team. Uh, I need some. I need some lads that can basically hack it at international level, but know the ropes at international level, know how to fish with bloodworm, uh, because that'll be a huge part of it. Uh, and he said, "I need." Some not old heads, but some some experienced heads. Uh, hence the reason he brought Steve Hemigray in and Dean Dean Barlow as well. Um, Dean, you know, Dean was a young England international. Steve was on the European scene at the same time as me. 
Um, so that's that's how I got involved with that. And I, to be honest, I jumped at the chance because uh, I liked the idea of it. I thought it was great. Um, but it was probably the nail in the coffin for the float team because it was so specialised. I had to really choose between the two. Um, and I could see how important feeder fishing was becoming. So I thought, well, yeah, I'll have a go at that. It was great, and it was great to get involved. Um, I was I was gutted to be dropped by Tommy, um, but I thought I could get back in the team. Uh, and things just changed, to be honest, and, and there was more and more young lads coming through who were ultra keen, they're going and practicing and showing willing a lot more than I was. Um, and I'm, I should have maybe just practiced a little bit harder, but I don't think that would have made a lot of difference. It was just circumstances, really. Um, and have I got inspirations, aspirations to to get involved again? Uh, not really, no, in all honesty. Um, yeah. I don't mind, I mean, I don't mind getting involved. Um, but I get involved if people wanted to me wanted me to be, and they they considered that I was important for selection. But um, I, you know, I'm not really that bothered about getting involved at management level. Certainly not at this time in my life. I just want to go fishing. Yeah. I don't want to go fishing. I want to catch fish. I want to win. Um, yeah. And no disrespect to the great managers we've got in 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 England teams. I, but I, ca- I can't do that at the moment. I can't go and watch people. I want to be fishing. Yeah. No, I get it totally. Yeah. And well, that what that leads me to is the second part of this this piece, I guess, is that, and I didn't realise until we've just we've just started talking in this this whole podcast how intertwined these podcasts are. Mm. It's quite it's fascinating because yeah. Tommy talks about how gutted he was to be dropped mm. for England. Yeah. But then he also says how he took that on and then, you know, it learned him how to have those conversations with people like yourself. Yeah. Um, who he's yeah. had to then go and drop. Um, yeah. Ian's obviously spoken about DAM and I didn't realise that you'd, and, and that this is one for the listeners. We have not discussed this, have we? It's all down. I didn't no, know no, that I've you had that. spent, you know, road trips <laughs> all around with Ian. So that's, that's yeah. hilarious. Yeah. But one of the things which which links back to this is, is something that I said with Tommy um, on the episode two. But he said some of these top, top commercial anglers now cannot fish for England. And the reason why is it's a completely different mindset. And then I challenged him and said, well, can you do the two? Can you chase these big money finals? Because there seems to be more kudos around them. Your Fisher Manias, your Feeder Masters, Maver Match, this, all the rest of it. Or fish for your country, and, and he's like me, and, and you might be the same. It's like you know, I think fishing for your country is is the ultimate pinnacle. But there's a lot of these lads and lasses now think, well, actually, it's all all about these big money finals. Where do you stand? Because you've done both, like Tom. Yeah. You've been in these big finals. You've won a couple of them, made yeah. a few bob out of it. But at the same time, you've been in that sort of international sea. What's your thoughts on on what Tom said and and really where the the blurred lines are? I guess. I think he's right. I think he's right. Um, what what I would say is, 
the likes of um, Andy Bennett, Jamie Hughes, um, these kind of people, they are absolute class anglers, absolute class. They're, they're champions of their disciplines. And I've no doubt that if they said, right, I'm going to set myself a five-year target and I'm going to try and get an England side, I've no doubt they could probably learn the ropes and do it. You know, these guys, like Andy, for example, um, they've come from natural fishing backgrounds. Yeah. So they've, they've got the grounding and they've got the ability and they've got the brain, the angling brain, to switch to anything. But you've got to be doing it all the time to be the best at it, just like they are the best at what they do. Yeah. You know, try and compete with Andy Bennett catching F1s um, with maggots and pellets and you, you, you're playing catch-up because the guy is a, is a fish-catching machine. is uh, a wonderful bloke. You won't meet a nice bloke. Uh, and the same applies to Jamie Hughes. Try and compete with him fishing pellets of carp on the deck. He just He's so tuned yeah. into it. It's crazy, isn't it? But, you know... One of the things that that I would say is, I when I came down to Warwickshire, I was labelled by Mark Downs as a river angler, mm-hmm. and he said, he said, "Look, we'd like you to to join us. You won't be fishing any canals or anything because you're a river angler. You don't understand woodworm stuff like that. So, you know, you we won't need you for that." Is that a bit annoying being pigeonholed like that? Oh yeah, absolutely, but. There's only one answer to that, to that, isn't there? Let's go out and show me you can. Show me how you ne- can do the it. The next yeah. week, uh, I went to Rowington on the Grand Union Canal where they were all going. I brought the canal record with uh, five carp for £47.12. <laughs> and the day before, um, I was second in the match with to Dave Berrers with £12.13 of Whipcourt Roach. So it was like that, the canal king then as well, wasn't exactly, he, Dave Berrow? Yeah. Yeah. So I. T- uh, I, I I ticked those off my list and said, what, what do you want me to do next? Well, not not in a smug way, but I, I, I said that in my mind. But the, <laughs> but, but the way It'd Mark be funny Downs, if you did say that. That would great. <laughs> the way Mark Downs managing, manages people, he probably said that to make me show him. Yeah, yeah. He's, a, he's a very, oh, very clever. clever. He's a very clever manager, a very clever man. Um, you know, not everybody likes Mark, but he's a, he's a manager and he's, he's run starlets for so many years at such a high level it has to be all respect you, exactly all you can do is respect exactly what he's done and he he's taught me so much you know we spent years going out on the census challenge finals and myself and mark paul downs uh sean ashby king ward all people like that we used to go and competed at the highest level in france and they are tough to beat these boys on bloodworm and joker and we won like a hundred and I think it was 108 teams of four event or teams of five event on a, a river with bloodworm and we beat them and we won over two days and it was just amazing. And that's the kind of experience that I gained fishing with starlets, which turned me into a complete angler. Mm. It's not a bad uh, side, is it? No. And, and, and so going back to, the likes of Jamie and, and Andy, that, that they could do all this, 
but they just if they want to and if if I was coming into the sport now um, at a young age you know the younger lads they've probably got a lot more sense in targeting the big money matches because these matches aren't going to get smaller the purse isn't going to get smaller it'll only get bigger you've seen like the the FA Fishing Association match which is a guaranteed 100 grand it's an amazing concept I have reservations about that to be honest Aaron but <laughs> that's, that's, that's a conversation yeah. for, for another time um, but yeah no 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 the concept is 100% yeah, yeah no, it's fascinating there's, there's more money coming into it that's for sure and You've got to ask yourself, you know, do I want to fish? Sadly, that England anglers, they don't get the credibility they deserve anymore. When when I grew up, it was the, ha- the highest pinnacle in match fishing to represent the country. Now, sadly, it's not because, you know, there's a lot of um, individual events and there's a lot of hype on social media, even on TV and things like that, where it gets coverage, which is fantastic. I'm not knocking it in any way. It's great. No, no, absolutely. It's what we need for the sport. I think it's an evolution because back in the day, you know, we did have those big sponsorships, but embassy, people like that, just we can't have them nowadays. So actually it's looking a bit more innovative and, and, you know, and I think matchroom sports and the whole Barry Earn thing was a real sort of game changer. I think Fisho still probably the number one on most commercial anglers' lips that they'd want on that on that yeah, trophy. Yeah, yeah. It's there's nothing like seeing yourself on TV in in a big money match. It's brilliant, isn't it? It's, it's just great. It's great. Well, for, I'll great never for be there, Darren. So I don't know. I'll, I'll be watching the telly, but I won't be with a camera. On that, that's for sure. <laughs> but it's just it's just nice to sort of see match fishing up there with all the other sports on you know mainstream. Media. It is. I wish they could get the internationals on, you know, if there yeah. was more focus on that. And I know BT are doing an awful lot. And I know Rob's got a lot of irons in the fire, yeah. um, as he said on on the, on the on our podcast. But yeah, no, to- totally get it. And you give a real good insight there. And I guess so the final thing there then, just before we, we start thinking about wrapping up, is tell me about, and it was one thing that not really had chat, sort of touched on it a little bit with Tom and, and a little bit with Nick, but Tell me about this mindset that you have to have, um, the preparation. You, well, you know, I suppose the, the qualifying is the hardest part. But when you get prepared to go into that official final or a feeder masters or a, a park dean or something like that, I suppose park dean is a bit different, isn't it? Because you don't have that much time to think about it. It's part of the same week. No, you're but, straight, straight into it, aren't yeah. you? Yeah, yeah. But the others where you've, you know, you might have three or four months before you, you're into this final or whatever. What sort of prep do you do? Do you, I mean, where do you even start? Uh, it's, I, it's like stepping stones for me. I, I see, you know, the, I think you've got to prep for the qualifiers as if they're a final because you don't get there otherwise unless you're lucky. Yeah. Um, and so if you put the preparation into the qualifiers, then you have got a much better chance of getting there the reward you deserve and that's a place in the final um so what international fishing did for me is it taught me how to prepare more than anything i've got to say it's been with will raisin steve gardner people like that they're just they 
ultimate professionals in terms of not leaving any stone unturned. If you did 100 rigs, Will would, and, and Stevie would do 150, and they would not be satisfied until they'd made the right rigs and tried every everything they thought was right. And 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 that really helped my mindset in term in terms of preparing for team matches and preparing for individual matches. Mm. And yeah. I I always say to people, if 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 you've put the work in, for example, you got through you've put the work into the qualifier, you've got through on the qualifier and you've then got a final to go to. What I would do is I'll if I don't know the venue particularly well, I'll do as much research as I can, try and fish some matches there, try and speak to some people who, who've, who've either been in the final before or who fish the venue regularly in matches. Yeah. Uh, and then I'll start to build up a, a picture of what certain scenarios could happen in, in matches, um, in the finals. And, 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 just try and be ready for everything. You you can never be over prepared, over prepared, mm. but you can be under prepared. Yeah. Uh, and one of I think one of my strengths in fishing, people always say, "Oh, you've got a tackle shop set up," and 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 other people go to the peg and they set one top kill and that's it. Yeah. But one of my strengths in my style of fishing is I can set up a ta- tackle shop. And I can resist using what I don't think is right throughout the five hours. Mm. So, but I can, I've got it there ready and I can always pick it up if I need it or if I'm struggling and I've got to get out of jail. Mm. And there's been times in the past where I've sat there thinking, mm, should have set up a feeder, should have set up a rig for that. And my but the best way that I can prepare is to have everything ready because you've got five hours you haven't got time to start reworking stuff in the final because the the quality of the field is too good if you're on a tough peg you need to work it if you're on a on a flyer you need to absolutely just destroy it so maximize it yeah yeah, maximize complete completely so you you put it outside and especially if it's two day finals, because you know it's it's like the the amalgamation of effort over two days, and and or the lack of effort over two days can have such a dramatic effect. You know, on a weight match, for example, in feeder masters, catching I caught twenty, I think it was about twenty seven, twenty eight pound on the first day when I won it, um, and I felt like I really maxed the peg out, but. I only maxed my peg out because of something I did in practice. And, and uh, in fi- on Freedom Masters, they have a match on the Friday and you fish the Saturday and Sunday. Yeah. Cut long, really long story short. Um, I drew an extra Andy Powers in the practice. He was catching some fish and I couldn't get a bite. I got a f- few fish. It was flat calm, no wind. This is at Bow Beach and we are chucking myself 50 metres on the feeder. Yeah. 28 to 30 foot deep, um, quite technical fishing because there's yeah, bait coming off your feeder and you've got to think about it and work it out, hook lens, what's coming off, how much feed. 
cut long story short, Andy was catching some fish. So I started, I thought, I can't get any bites out. So I, I chucked two metres down the peg to the right, thinking I'll, I'll just have one chuck nearer him. It's miles away from him, but what happened was I caught some fish. What was that uh, undertow, maybe? Pushing was, his bait? It, no, it wasn't his bait. It was my bait, where it was obviously, obviously the way I was squeezing my feeder, there was bait coming out at a certain point in the in the depth of the water. What point it was coming out, I have no idea because it's like 28, 30 foot deep. And that bait that was coming out initially was obviously obviously settling a little bit further down the peg. Yeah. So I worked out that I could fish two lines on two on, lines, of course, on the same distance. And I, I, I called one with like my server line and that was the one that was the one I went to when I needed a bite. And so I just flipped between the lines and every time I went to this right hand line on the first day, it got me a, a big skimmer or a, a bream. So I work, I worked it out that if I fished on my feed all the time, I could catch the smaller fish and everything that were right on the main feed. Mm-hmm. But every time I went to this right-hand line, rather than fishing um, a red worm and a maggot or a, or a little piece of dendra, I put a big piece of worm on. Mm-hmm. And that one chuck there would get me a decent fish. Those bigger fish just sitting but, off of the main feed. Yeah, yeah, but if I milked it, I'd just back them off even further because there'd be too much bait going further down my peg again. So that that is the kind of thing that you've got to learn and understand in practice. So just a little thing that gives you an edge if you're on some fish. Nobody can win if they're not on fish. You know, I've won the party masters and I've been come and I've come last. <laughs> and and you know, I I had no chance when I was last and I had a chance and took it when I was first. But I've been in matches where I've come second and third, and I thought, you know what, I could have won that. And Nick it's... said the same. Several finals, and he said out of those seven finals, seven or eight finals, there's only one that he thought he could win. Yeah, and yeah. he blew it. <laughs> you know, op- openly and holds his hand up and say, you know, I-, I fished it completely wrong. But at least I guess if you're on, perhaps I mean, never say a no hoper as such, but you're not in the best area. At least you can be as, as prepared as as possible absolutely and it's 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 preparedness it's preparation it's confidence and it's taking your chance tommy's the best example yeah i've just just come into the end of his book now and i'll get him on for series two because there's loads of stuff i want to ask him out the back of that and it's the amount of what you there's one thing that runs right through that book and and you could you know if you write a book one day you'd probably got a similar story but it's the amount of so-called no hopers that he's been given where he just ran out winner because it's that yeah. mindset you know it's not going to yeah. be the amount of lads I see that think oh you know this peg that peg and oh you know I'm going to pack up I'm not you know not I'm not even going to fish you're like you what crazy and if mm-hmm. if people like yourself Tommy and all those guys you know if you did that you'd never win a beam would you so no. it's that mindset it's the winning mentality and making the most of the situation absolutely right brilliant absolutely right that I need to finish with our final question and that is of course the future so what is the future of Darren Cox and Garbellino 
Well, Galvin Oat is great news, still growing. Uh, lots of new products. We'd, we'd, as I say, we were a pole brand and we are now a full um, accessories and tackle bits and pieces, seat boxes, everything brand, which is what you need to be these days. Um, we're growing our range more and more. We've got a great company in France who prepared to put money in for good projects and we're growing well. Uh, the the business fishing industry is having a bit of a boom. It is. Uh, the one good thing that, that has come out of COVID is that people are using the countryside a little bit more and fishing is benefit. Um, for Darren Cox, what's happening with Darren Cox? Well, I just want to keep on winning. Um, I love them fishing. I love the diversity of my fishing. Um if I can't win, I'll probably give up match fishing and do something else. Go barbling, like a bit of fly fishing, go fishing, fly fishing quite regularly. Sure. But at the moment, I feel like I can win. I'm winning a bit and really, really enjoy it. Um, I like the feeder side of things. I love the feeder masters. I love the teams of four, our mainline uh, DGG team with Dean Barler, Cy Fry, um, Gaz Lambert and um, Adam Rooney sometimes fishes as well when he wants to do. We've got a great side there, great camaraderie. It, it gives me the team fix, which I need. Yeah. Um, and still plenty of individual. I'm going to have a go at some major match this is and some golden reels this year, but I'm going to focus on venues that suit me. I love Meadowlands, Barston, Larford, places like that. Yeah. Um, so rather than just fish, um, Fishermania, for example, and get all the tickets and, and what go on what I call like the, the traveling circus, yeah. um, which I did for years and loved it. Um, but I'm, I'm going to do what suits me. I'm going to fish the venues I like venue, um, venues I'm confident on and the venues that are also good to me, because we all have venues that are good to us, and we all have our bogey venues as well. Um, and I tend to avoid the bogey venues, because I've fallen out with them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I always stick to this mantra, um, a quote that Roy Marlow gave me years ago, and he says, do what you know, not what you think you know. Yeah. And uh, I've yeah. always stuck to that, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Darren, it's been, honestly, it's been really, really good chatting. And um, I will see you on June the 16th, hopefully, at Lindholm yeah. Lakes uh, for the Northern Qualifier. I want you to draw me another flyer. And this time, <laughs> I, I don't want to mess it up. To be honest, last year, I didn't mess it up. I had £99.15 and I think yeah. 101 won, uh, got through to the final. So I was gutted. But I did get my section by double default. <laughs> You can't beat a default section. No, no, absolutely. <laughs> Brilliant. So thank you so much, Darren. It's been a, been an absolute joy. And uh, oh, you're thanks welcome. for chatting. I've enjoyed it. Thank you for uh, inviting me on. It's been good fun. For all your fishing needs, be sure to check out Fishing Evolution. Boasting two floors of branded displays, visit our recently expanded superstore at Hadley Road in Sleaford where we offer a huge range of tackle from all of the leading course and cart brands, such as Nash, Fox, Corda, Drennan, Preston, Guru, Daiwa, and many, many more. 
You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram, where we share all of the latest news and updates about products available in store. Hi, and welcome to the Tackle Shed. Something different for our final episode here on episode six. We've got Mark. Mark's from my local tackle shop called Fishing Evolution here in Sleaford in Lincolnshire. So rather than me talking about the tackle that I've noticed across the media um, and on the bank, we've got the expert to do it for you. So how are things going, Mark? Okay. Yeah, really good. And especially this week, uh, as we were chatting earlier before we sort of come on to this, was... uh, the doors are actually open and people are back in store. They can see what they want and they can do their own browsing. So it's it's sort of taken that um, painful part out of the task. But no, it's really good just to, to see people back in store, really, and everybody's buzzing and, uh, you know, getting out on the bank, which is the main thing as well, isn't it? So, yeah, yeah, it's all good. Definitely, definitely. Just a bit of um, history and background, I guess, about your shop, Mark, just so the, the listeners can have a bit of an understanding. So you took on um, an original tackle shop. It was called Dave's, was it Dave's End Peg? Dave's Peg, yeah. Dave's yeah. Peg. So how did, it, how did it all start for you guys? Um, well, I say Dave's Peg, like I say, the, the history of Dave was he had a very small shop on Boston Road in Sleaford and it sort of grew from there to another one on the end of Grantham Road. And then I think he ended up down Westgate. And every time he sort of um, I'll use the term evolve because that's part of our um, our title and why we sort of chose it. But he sort of grew all the way up to the shop where we, we are now, really. And I know we've sort of recently doubled the unit. But, um, yeah, it was he was the one who sort of set the sort of stall out, really, had the sort of customer base, had a lot of accounts in place and had served the sort of local area really, really well. And we were, we'd sort of talked about it for some time, myself and my brother, because obviously we both got, very different jobs um, and would be just interested to do something together. Obviously both always been mad about fishing, you know, all styles of fishing, you know, between us, we've, we've done pretty much all of it. I guess I'd focus more on the carp side now, but he's more of the sort of course and commercial. We do a lot of lure fishing together and yeah, it was just to try to do something together. Um, And then, uh, yeah, the opportunity came up with, with Dave shop um, and, and yeah, we sort of, and you know like any sort of business decision uh there's a lot of sort of deliberation but yeah we, we went for it i'm glad we did set the title as fishing evolution because we wanted to sort of evolve from from what david done and sort of bring it into um you know a more sort of modern brands and things um sort of open it up into you know the different areas you know strengthen the predator side strengthen the carp side you know to, to try and have a you know, a really balanced shop, really, with all the brands that everybody could possibly want. So that sort of started about three and a bit years ago. Um, we always thought, knowing that there was a unit next door, that we could possibly go into that. You know, there was always talk of that, you know, but we, we thought that was probably more of a, you know, a pipe dream rather than a, a reality. Yeah. But that, that opportunity came up again towards the end of last year. Um, and again, we just, you know, same sort of deliberation consideration isn't it and uh i'm um, yeah looking back we, we even said tonight actually that we're really glad we did it we obviously had a lot of comments cause a lot of people are really seeing that now for the first time i know we were sort of we took the dividing wall between the two units down in um november but then we were sort of swiftly back into lockdown yeah. uh you know straight after december so people who weren't fishing in that period never really saw it so a lot, a lot of people are seeing it for the first time it's just it's really good it's, it's it's been a big buzz actually this week just for the comments and the praise we've had so yeah, yeah. sort of boys you for you know what we're trying to do because we you know we're still not 
you know, still not stopped there, really. We've still got other brands that we're trying to add in and, you know, you can't do it all overnight. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, for me, the, I remember the, the first time I went into the shop was probably about 18 months ago um, when we was debating, me and the wife, whether we was going to move in this area. Obviously, the first thing I think about is well, what's the fishing you, you, like. I can remember you actually popping in because yeah. I spoke to you and you were talking about what's the fishing clubs like, what's the drains fish like here, what that's sort right. of fisheries, and you was yeah proper inquisitive. That's why I so I remembered once you started becoming a a regular customer and started popping up, certainly with our store manager um, on their on their sort of match um, scene and stuff like that. So yeah, it didn't surprise me at all. Well, that's right. So just for the listeners, so the store manager Jeff, he's like our club chairman. Yeah. So, uh, and our club doesn't have waters. It's purely a match fishing club. Um, so, yeah, Jeff takes all the money and all the bits and pieces. There's a, there's a nice local link in that respect. Um, but when I first went in, I thought to myself, crikey, this is like a bit of an Aladdin's cave. Because what I'm used to living in a city is in nine times out of ten, a lot of the tackle shops are on a high street. So straight yeah. away, you've got an issue for parking. Absolute yeah, yeah, nightmare. Yeah. So unless they've got their own car park. You're str- uh, struggling for space straight away because historically you know the majority of buildings where i'm from are terraced so pretty small shop front and shop size unless they go backwards um so in general coming into yours which is on an industrial estate essentially uh, with having two floors up and down no issues with parking um it was a real eye-opener for me and i thought the shop was great as it was so now as you just said you've now doubled the size you've gone through into the second unit so tell us then um what are the main brands that you're going to be focusing on now that you've you've expanded? Well, I mean, to be fair, I mean, we, we had a lot of brands. I mean, all of your popular brands, we'd almost ticked off. We, we, we've certainly not ticked off everything. Um, so the first part of what we we are trying to do at the minute really is to extend those brands. So, you know, obviously we've got Giroux, um, Preston's and Dreddon's and Daiwa. Um, we've got Map. We're just sort of looking to get some of their racking in, obviously Maver all these kind of brands on the match side, but we can now do much, much more. We can do much, much more of their luggage, much, much more of their boxes. We can hold things in quantities, which is great. Uh, and then on the carp side, you know, you've got your Fox, your Nash, your Corder, all your different baits. There's you know, a plethora of baits on the carp side again. And we had those in, but we only had really the best sellers. You always had things in and around the periphery that you wanted to get in, that you occasionally got asked for, or you were more frequently getting asked for, and we just simply couldn't stock. And, this has enabled us to add that extra meter or two meters to do that, as well as then adding extra brands in and, and what we're trying to do. I mean, you, you can't start at the top with the prestige brands as easily, um, but we're sort of moving into that and, you know, hence trying to put a lot more of those in. You know, Jag products, for example, on, on the carp side is, is one of those. We've, we've got gaps in the shop, as you'll see when you go in there, where there are racks with future plans for other brands and, uh, yeah, if, if we can tick those off like we hope we can, um, you know, that's on the match course and the Predator side, then I think we'll have a really, really balanced shop. You know, you've got everything to cater for everybody. You've got a good range from every selection, but you've also got different brands have different price points, don't they? So, you know, you'll naturally have people who gravitate to those. So, I think you've got a tough job as well, because one of the things I pick up on in this area is there's such a wide variety of waters, you know, yeah, within a sort of 20 is. minute drive, you've got everything from yeah. if you want to go 
Xander fishing, you can go down the yep. fens yep. if you want to go. You know, big carp fishing, there's plenty of big water. So match fishing, canals, drains around Boston for, you know, yeah, the roach yeah. and skimmers. The Trent's 20 minutes away. Yep. The Witham's 15 minutes away. So you've got to sort of cater for all those different demographics, I guess. And that's that's where the space comes into it, I guess. It is, yeah. And I think that's why we've quickly gobbled up the space that we uh, thought we were going to take a long time to fill. You know, we've been busy over lockdown. You know, we've, we've been working with our suppliers to get that extra racking in, to get those extra products in uh, as and where we could. And, uh, yeah, it's amazing how quickly we've really filled the space. Um, so much so we're already saying we could do a little bit more room. And sales since you've reopened? I mean, I know it's only been a couple of days. but Yeah, significant lift. Significant lift this week. Um, I think... We saw definitely a lift from the point where the lockdown restrictions were eased such that night fishing and travel for fishing was permitted because that was, I think, very much restrictive. Uh, I think that slowed things down at the beginning of the lockdown because a lot of people think, well, I'll just drop on a river and then we had all the rain and the snow and <laughs> rivers came up. I know it's right. a lot of our lure and predator fishing um, because that's what we'd planned to do. Uh, so it sort of slowed things down, I think, in January. But I guess what probably did, um, sort of improve things and I guess is what we'll come on to is a, you know, a huge amount of new products come out um, the Fox Frontier bivvies have been one that was sort of long awaited you know quite a long delay and when they finally hit we were sort of shipping bivvies out here there and everywhere and we're down to sort of again a few and, and we're waiting for more to come back in so uh, it's been, What's been the, uh, that. I've noticed a massive increase in your clothing range as well does that sell well does it it does, yeah, because, I mean, I think everybody, certainly see it more in the cart guys, um, tend to be very much, you know, um, looking to part on the bank, shall we say. But I think over the last few years, we've seen, you know, certainly Guru, they do some really, really good gear. I know Preston's new range is coming out. We've got all of that on order. Some really good bank wear coming out. It's a lot more thought out now. Rather than just a T-shirt with a badge on it, Yeah, you know, they're, they're coming out as wicking t-shirts and things like that and uh you know that they're actually thinking about the comfort of of the angler as well and what they're going to be doing rather than just having something with a badge on it and i think that's showing in the sales and which hence why we look to extend the yeah well because there's so much of it and people are so brand orientated it's kind of like you adidas and nike you know what i mean Yeah, people you do get do, up on loyalty for sure. People yeah. do mix and match a little bit, but they will, you know, you'll you'll certainly see somebody come in when the new Preston stuff comes in and they'll take yeah. the socks, the gloves, the coat, the you know, a couple of the hoodies works. and things like that. They'll take <laughs> the full works. We see that on the same on the carp side as, as that's coming and I think that's got very seasonal. It's almost like high street fashion. Um, yeah that is that is true you know you've got your winter suits you've got your summer yeah. wear and i think because probably because the last couple of years we have actually had proper winters and summers you know yeah, we've not really yeah, had a yeah. mild winter for a couple of winters we've had reasonably decent summers so yeah it, ma- it makes sense so what do you see being the big sellers coming up then through spring and well we're coming out of spring into summer certainly the, obviously the, the the seat boxes continue to be particularly strong i mean i know dyra brought some really good boxes out as well we're looking to get hold of more of those um the preston ones continue to sell well uh we can't keep up with shuttles and trolleys on on the match side the matrix um trolleys and also the preston shuttles as well they're yeah you know we're really struggling to keep up with those it's and because then, of how much gear people are carrying <laughs> it is yeah i guess it is um we're seeing that on the carp side as well it's just certain items where people are gravitating to those kind of things. Um, other than that, you know, you've got Preston just launched their ignition rod range, which are, you know, they're coming in at 
49.99 on upwards and those are the sort of rods that you tend to sell you know bucket real, loads, yeah. real large quantities um and it's hard to keep up with them um i know we certainly sell a lot of the sonic pellet wagglers and things like that as well because not everybody wants to go you know whole hog but for what you get now for a 50 pound or a 40 pound rod even is you know pretty impressive when you when you have a look at um you know certainly thinking to some of the tackle that i used to use years ago and what i used to pay for it and now for what you can get um it's the price point in those kind of things has really come down all right there's still the you know the high-end gear which you can tell the difference on but uh yeah we do sell a heck of a lot of those kind of sort of rods and, and reels in that kind of price region and then again on the carp side um you know there's a lot of new bivvies and things come through there's some big, big launches from fox and nash on their new bivvy ranges um and again huge demand on those and i'm sure that'll continue to go through the summer which is really really good um and then we're also seeing a bit you know there's a, there was a big predator revival over the last couple of years the drains have been fishing really really well yeah uh, we had a huge strong predator season the fox and rage warrior rods um again price point tackle as well they really look the part they really do play you know fish really really well um, and we've seen a lot of people just realising they can go out with a small rod and a, almost like a little bit of a backpack or something and a small fold away net, and they can you know go out and have a couple of hours walking up and down the bank. And yeah. we've we've seen the popularity of that come up a lot, and uh, it's almost like got to the point where it's like the bass fishing style lures and brown right. coming yeah. over now, and people are you know Texas rig, and you know it's it's it's. Where are they doing that then around here, Mark? Um, what sort of drains, uh, Grantham Canal. I mean, they're, they're all, you know, all, all the sort of drains around us are producing some really, really nice sized perch, uh, as are some of the lakes, to be fair. Um, and I know that certainly the drains uh, locally, without sort of naming any of the venues, produce some really good fish. I think there's, you know, 30 pound fish um, on, on the pike side coming out this year as well, which is really, really good to hear. Really, really good to hear um and it's something that i know myself and my brother do a lot of as well back end because it's the only kind of fishing that we both do you know and and so it's the only chance we get to go fishing together really i know we do do some of a crossover at other points but that's consistently you know we go out weekend after weekend together um over that period fishing for that and uh, i think that's going to continue to be really really sort of strong and it's i know it's a focus that we've got in the store to continue to strengthen that predator uh section up because it's almost like your seasonal switch, you know what I mean, where some, you'll start to see less people on the bank on the match in the carp side, apart from the hardcore element, but then you make up your sort of sales and things with the guys who will probably switch to Predator or, or the Predator anglers who are just seasonal will start to come back on the bank. So um, it's just a good thing for sort of bridging the gap really with sales as well. So Yeah, no, absolutely. So. Brilliant. So, well, I mean, you talked a little bit there about bulky items with the boxes and the rods and whatnot, but what about the, the bread and butter stuff, the terminal tackle, baits? How do you see those unfolding over the summer? Any any interesting launches? Yeah, so um, actually D- DNA baits is one of the new baits that we've just had in. It's a new uh, insect protein bait, um, interestingly enough, and uh, that has almost been you know flying off the shelf as of tonight really and we've got a lot of pre-orders on it and uh, i know there's a couple of other carp bait launches coming up as well um so i'm, I'm sure they'll go really really well they're always sort of uh, i'm not saying it's there just to tempt the angler i mean they have, they've got a good pedigree dna baits uh their other baits are really successful i know there's been a lot of these fish they always you always see on social media now how many people and the, the testers and 
people are, are catching on these baits. So uh, it's, you know, it, it really hypes it up as well. For, so Good name. Are, I like the name. People are tuned into it. And then on the match side as well, you know, I mean, um, again, Sonya Bates has just extended their range, put some a lot of the Periscopex range in and things. Uh, and their brand continues to go from strength to strength. Again, it's another one that we've extended in store. We put a lot of the natural um, water range in as well because a lot more people are fishing rivers. So I think we're going to see that a lot more this year. Uh, it was something that we did last year to strengthen up the river ranges. Um, we did it with dynamite baits as well. Uh, we did it with spotted fin. We've tried to get all of their sort of river ranges in because I'm not sure how it will pan out this year with people being able to do a little bit more um, compared to last year where it almost seemed like uh, once the lockdown <clears throat> was raised, nobody could still go back to the pub. You couldn't really go to the football match. So a lot of people came back into the sport and you're just seeing a heck of a lot of people uh, on the bank. And certainly uh, the commercial lakes were very, very busy. So I think we saw an overspill onto the rivers and I think a lot of people have seen just what good sports in the rivers now. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good point that you said about the peak in, in angling again since, you know, with lockdown, I think there was a, you know, a heck of a lot, 300,000, 400,000 more yeah. rod license sales in a, in, in a couple of months, you know, than there was in 2019. So I guess as a as an industry, as a trader like yourself, as for my little bit that I whack into the paper, our aim is, I guess, to retain these people. Uh, retain the guys that have just started the sport and, and, you know, retain the people that have give the sport a go again. And what do you think or what can you tell the listeners with regards to utilising a local tackle shop versus we know there's tons of mail order out there. And, you know, it's all about the knowledge, the local information, I guess. But what would you say to everybody with regards to... Yeah, well, I mean, we're, we're trying to do everything we can. I mean, we, we know our customer base. I guess that's one thing that we get to see, you know, firsthand. Um, we see the people who are coming in. We know, you know, where the demand is, and um, I guess without being a multinational, we're, we're, you know, we're looking to tailor the store around where the demand is, and you know, suit people's needs as, as well as giving them the advice and the good service. Um, it's really making sure that you're sort of hitting the spot, and I know that can be a little bit harder with some of the other stores where I guess they're they're ordering, you know across a, a wide range and then giving a selection across all of those different stores as well. I mean, I'm, I'm not here to sort of criticise that. That's, um, you know, where they are and where we are really in this. But that's that's always been our game, really, to try and, uh, you know, give the customer everything they need. And the plan with a store sort of moving forward really is to um, hopefully give them no excuse to go, to, go, to go anywhere else because the, you know, the range will be there or selection will be there. Um, and you've just got to keep ticking the right boxes with uh, the good custom and the good advice, like you say, the local knowledge as well, all thrown in. It all adds up. I mean, I know pre-COVID, we had all of the sort of the tea station and everything in there because there's a huge social side to the shop as well, which is, again, why we wanted to go into it. You know, it's yeah. why wouldn't you want to be into something? I'm not trying to make it sound easy or anything like that, but it's great when you can be there. Um, talking to a load of people who've got exactly the same interest as yourself, it almost doesn't feel like work at that point. There's a lot of work behind it. Totally. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just great just to be able to talk to everybody who's sort of like-minded and you know hear what they're doing, where they're going, what they've had. And it's just it's just, yeah great to share that. So hopefully you know moving forward that will be able to come back and um, you know the, so, the more social side where people can hang around and congregate a little bit more uh, longer as lockdown continues to ease. Um, you know, we can get back to that, fingers crossed. Well, 
Finally, from me, there's one thing I really, really like about your shop, and that's the loyalty program. So if you want to explain that to listeners. And second, and just to finish on, I guess, any plans for e-commerce, mail order, or are we just going to keep it local? Uh, okay, yeah. So so the loyalty scheme was always something we wanted to do. I mean, we, we, we sort of started it off from, from launch day, really, where we had some little cards. If you had a £50 spend or whatever, you gave a certain amount of discount for the rest of the year. Because I think we opened in the October of 2017. And then we sort of looked at it and thought, well, how can we turn that into a loyalty scheme um, and sort of, you know, take that forward? And, uh, yeah, we just come up with a sort of simple scheme where, you, you know, we obviously we're monitoring your spend. If you want, if you join a scheme, it's dead simple. It's, you know, we're not emailing you or anything like that. Uh, it's just simply monitoring your spend. You have a card with your name on it. Uh, for every £250 price point you get to, it gives you an extra £2.5% discount, uh, up to a maximum of 10 Um which, you know, over a year as a guy spend, you know, if you get a bivy or a new bed or a new pole, you can soon find yourself easily on 75 or 10% for right. the rest of the year, and that's off hooks, maggots, weights. You know, so if you come and spend a couple of quid, you're still saving 10%. Or if you come back for that big item, you're going to then save 10% on that as well. So... Um, that was something that we were really keen to do. Uh, I think it's been very, very well received, and it's, like I say, it's an annual, so. annual scheme. And, um, you know, I think um, it's, it's that little bit about giving back, isn't it? You know, it's, you, can price, you see some companies who just price everything really low, um, but, uh, you know, it, it was just a good way to get the, the stuff in at the right price point and then give people the, the discount for loyalty. Um, you know, as they continue to sort of shop with us. And on, on the e-commerce part, yeah, it was always the plan. Um, I don't think we ever thought we would have three years of solid growth where we were focusing so heavily on footfall and just getting the shop right, getting the brands in so much. Um, and I think because obviously we've got obviously other jobs as well as this, um, that the e-commerce has sort of probably slipped a little bit. But what we wanted to do was never not get the footfall aspect part of the shop yeah, right you know totally. it's, it's no good shipping something to kent and that guy who never will see you and probably will never use you again who knows maybe would do um if he received his products on time and he was happy with that uh and then the guys who are coming in locally um are just not getting what they want because we, we you know we sort of split our focus so that is something we're going to do but we're going to continue this year certainly to strengthen up um, the ranges, focus on that, get everything right. So the footfall thing is is set, and then we will look at the sort of e-commerce side. So it is longer-term aspiration, hopefully towards the end of this year. I think we would have been doing it now in reality had we not um, decided to take the plunge and extend it and you know concentrate efforts and fun really into doing that and, and giving the shop our all over the sort of last couple of three months while we've been in lockdown. Continue doing what you're doing locally. I love it. It's a great shop. Thanks, it's got so yeah. much choice, um, you know, and, and to have that on my doorstep, I, I feel pretty lucky in, in that respect. So, Mark, thanks so much for your time. I wish you no the best problem. of luck for this year, and I'll see you on Saturday when I come and get me maggots and spend another 20, 30 quid like it every week. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for having me on. It's been interesting listening to your podcast, actually, over the last, uh, last few weeks. So some really, really good guests. So, yeah, um, may it continue as well on your front. Thank you very much. And we'll have episode uh, series two even um, coming up probably in about a month or so's time. Cheers, Mark. Catch you soon, buddy. Thank you. Okay, so that's it. Episode six wrapped up and series one done and dusted. Once again, a big, big thank you for everybody listening, for all the kind words and comments and encouragement. 
And also a big, massive thank you for my special guests. You know, these guys have taken the time out um, to talk to me and to entertain yourselves with those wonderful stories and memories. And of course, top tips and tactics as well. I look forward to joining everybody again in Series 2, where we've got some great guests lined up, such as Dean Barlow, Dave Harrell, and of course, good old Tommy Pickering once again. And we will continue getting those big name guests as long as you listen. Take care, tight lines, and see you in Series 2. Thank you.